You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Good GP. My name's Christina and today I'm joined by the lovely Dr. Ashley Smith for episode two in this two-part series on stillbirth and neonatal death. So for those of you who might have missed our first episode, we really spent some time focusing on more of the medical aspects of this topic. Today's episode, we're going to take more of a dive into the psychosocial aspects and really hone in on how health professionals can best communicate with families and certainly how GPs can support families during this difficult time. So welcome, Ash. uh, Welcome back, Ash, I should say. And thanks so much for joining me again. Oh, no worries. Thank you, Christina, for having me. All right. So I wanted to first of all talk about grief and I guess grief in the context of a perinatal death and, you know, what a family might experience during that time and what the grief process, I guess, looks like. Well, with grief related to stillbirth or newborn loss, you know, obviously it's a significant disruption to their life. You know, it's a life crisis and stillbirth has an enormous psychosocial impact on parents and their families, um, but also on the care providers and wider community at large. There's economic impacts. And in addition, there's relationship stress. They might have other parents and issues parenting their other children, explaining the loss to them. And it's very under-recognized and under-reported the financial and economic impact, including income loss related to impairments of productivity at work or concentration or complete inability to go to work. There's certainly a stigma around stillbirth and that intensifies the distress and makes the parents often feel more isolated in their grief because many parents feel the death of their baby is not recognised as the same as the death of an older child. And there's certainly increased rates of anxiety, depression, PTSD and suicidal ideation. Okay, so let's talk about communication during this time and what makes a difference. Because I, I mean, you know, we talk about communication a lot through medical school and, you know, training, but it, you know, communication really does have the ability to make or break an experience, you know, of of whatever it might be within the healthcare system. So specifically around perinatal death, what makes a difference at this time when we're communicating with families? I think the hospital does it really well, usually. Usually there's a bereavement team, people and the staff have had a lot of training around managing pregnancy loss and grief and make memories for the family or with the family. And I think the hospital does it really well. Where I think perinatal grief falls down is when the, the mum's back in the community and the, the partner might go back to work and the world keeps spinning. So that's when they probably going to lean heavily on their GP and good communication would include the GP always you know using the baby's name that mother those bereaved parents their parents and they love to hear their baby's name so you know ask about them what supports how they're getting on as a couple how they're managing how's their mental health and really share decision making and you know nothing's a rush Probably they're not going to be taking in a lot of information. So giving information in the written form would be important and just effective supports. Yeah, and I think that point you raised about, you know, sort of being a parent is really important. You know, that idea that it doesn't matter how long for or, you know, whether it's an hour, whether it's five days, whether it was just through the antenatal period, you are a parent. And that's really important, I think, 
Would you agree around that, you know, using that terminology? Absolutely. So you mentioned or you touched on a little bit about some of the aspects that are provided by the hospital. What could a GP expect, you know, that would be provided by the hospital when it comes to supporting families during this time? It depends what hospital they deliver in. Uh, So the big tertiary hospitals have bereavement teams, bereavement social worker, and there's the memory box. There's the little butterfly symbol that might be on the patient's room warning all the staff and you know anyone that's visiting that there's been a loss. Uh, the hospital provides, well, not the hospital, the charity Heartfelt. I don't know if your listeners might have heard of Heartfelt, but it's the most wonderful Australian charity whereby professional photographers go in and take photos of the family and the baby and that's all for free and so that provides a lot of comfort in the future for those parents who can look back on that time and remember the beauty of their child. The hospital in addition to the pamphlets will provide phone numbers and hotlines and charity organisations but specifically if you want me to talk about what GPs can help um, supporting families. I think back in the community, like the mental health care plans, referral to grief counsellors, psychologists, there's a specialist group of psychologists with the Red Nose charity, and there's a special form online with the Red Nose charity. So that's a good resource to know about. There's massive Facebook groups for Bears of Hope and SANS and Pregnancy After Loss Support So that's for, you know, in quote marks, the rainbow pregnancy afterwards. There's even if there's any medical mums who are listening that have a pregnancy loss, there's a medical mums Facebook group for pregnancy loss. And the SANS, which stands for Stillbirth and Neonatal Death Society, the SANS group hosts a free support group meetup every month, which have all shut down in COVID, but that can be helpful. And I've created what I've called the Glimmer program, which is an eight-week mindfulness and peer support online program that I'd really recommend as well because I think the loneliness and isolation after a pregnancy loss is something that women commonly report and sort of the ravages of grief can be really intense so I think mindfulness can be helpful or meditation and I think a lot of women you might find turn to something like that. But also, separately, there's women might turn towards more complementary and alternative therapies uh, during this time when they're reaching for anything that could possibly help them in this distress. So you've mentioned quite a few uh, of the support groups available and probably really important for GPs to have an understanding of what is available, where to direct families. And I guess we've talked about this before when we've, we're preparing for this podcast, you know, around different support groups will work for different women and probably just being quite frank about that with families and sort of saying, you know, that these are the options, check them out, have a look, experiment with what you think. If it's not working for you, if it makes you feel worse, do try something different. If it is working for you, then then stick with it. Um, but I think it's important that they know that there are different options available. Yeah, Christina, you're so right. And honestly, some of the images and the stories that people post onto those Facebook groups would terrify anybody and you know truly some of the worst photos I've ever seen in that they're so distressing so some of the you know the groups like they they should be moderated and uh, some of them are but I know a lot of friends and I personally found that some of those groups can be more triggering and more distressing than actually helpful 
and and they're so large with thousands of members that it's not that that sense of community and that support is difficult to achieve in such an enormous group. Obviously, this episode, we're sort of more focusing on the mental health aspects and the psychological support. But I guess part of that also lends into um, some of the medical support postnatally, things that the GP could be considering proactively to discuss with families, potentially around sort of lactation, suppression, contraception. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, lactation suppression, the patient, you know, if it's a stillbirth, should be given cabergeline one milligram on day one post-delivery, but that doesn't always work. And certainly there can be issues with lactation, which is just insult to injury. And then there's contraception that would need to be discussed. So that's a really big topic and it's really needs to be guided by the patient factors. So mental and emotional health and their desire for future fertility. That's often one of the first questions that people would ask as when they can try again. But I think, you know, you need to take into consideration this index pregnancy and the risks of recurrence, wait for the results of, say, the autopsy. And certainly I'd I'd suggest waiting until the six-week follow-up with the hospital or the obstetrician to go through everything that occurred and determine if there is a recurrence risk or if they need to see a geneticist or something like that before he started planning a another pregnancy. There is a, a retrospective cohort study that reports a short interpregnancy interval of less than 12 months as an independent risk factor for complications of pregnancy like preterm birth, low birth weight, stillbirth, and neonatal death. So it's up to the patient and it has to be driven by their mental and emotional health, but that is a a real consideration that waiting 12 months might reduce that risk. So while we're on that pathway of talking about a subsequent pregnancy, what what are the considerations in that that a GP might be able to help someone with, you know, mental health support during that time? Yeah, so optimising mental health, investigating recurrence risk, waiting for the results like the autopsy, and knowing that the patient is now higher risk for stillbirth recurrence, no matter what the cause, and that it should be obstetric-led care, so early referral, and just the knowledge and understanding and compassion, kindness, being gentle with that woman because for her, no matter how normal that pregnancy goes, you know, it's not just another normal pregnancy to her. So constantly checking in and asking how she's going, is she utilising counselling? Because, you know, she is likely to be riddled with anxiety and triggering situations. So therefore, you know, the woman might need to be treated with a lot more patience and understanding and kindness, as you can imagine. Yeah, so I think a really important point, isn't it? Just making sure that she has that support structure and support team around her, both in the lead up and planning and thinking about it, and then during pregnancy itself, which is, like you say, it's going to be quite triggering and and a challenging time, even if everything's going well and any other pregnancy, there wouldn't be a concern. Ashley, you mentioned about the program that you have, I think you mentioned Glimmer. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention around that? I just bang on about mindfulness and meditation like you wouldn't believe now. (laughs) 
I mean, it wasn't something that I did before I lost my daughter, um, but now I do it and I have to do it every single day. And the the really great disappointment was finding that there wasn't much out there in the community for the support of bereaved mothers and that even though there's those huge Facebook groups or those monthly meetups with strangers in groups that, you know, that change every month, it is hard to get any meaningful connection. And I think um, like that's the, the mission for Glimmer. So it's meaningful connection and meditation and mindfulness and learning more about what, what is grief and how to honour the baby that, that they've lost. So it's uh, www.theglimmerproject.com. Well, Ash, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your insights and thanks for being such a, a fierce advocate as well in this space, you know, using your own experience, which I acknowledge is difficult to then come on here and go onto different forums. And, you know, I know you're um, looking at creating your own podcast and developing these resources, both for health professionals and for families through your own experience. So I really appreciate your time um, and everything else that you're doing in, in that space as well. Oh. Thank you, Christina. Thank you for your time. 